0: Bible Bible Beacon Beacon Broadcast. Broadcast As contemporary Christians, we try to understand what the Scriptures teach. Even with all differing interpretations and methods of interpretations derived at to the Scriptures, which could lead many to false conclusions, here at Bible Beacon Broadcast, We challenge the listeners to test the scriptures in light of the revelation that God has provided. Looking at those men who come on the show to present their positions and why they believe what they believe. The question is, why do you believe what you believe? Are you coming to your conclusions because of what you've been told? Or is it what you have found in the scriptures that convicts you to hold to what you believe? We will have many guests come onto this program that will lighten up your minds and should create enthusiasm for the Word of God to go and open up your own Bibles. They do not want to handicap anyone to be ignorant. And anyone who listens should go and test these things according to the scriptures. Be prepared. Be prepared with an answer from God. Bible Beacon Broadcast, your host Derek Lambert here. It's a wonderful uh, morning here, uh, Thursday morning, 11 a.m. on the East Coast in North Kakalaki. Uh, People call it Vietnam. That's our city, Fayetteville, Vietnam. Uh, But, you know, we have a special guest today. I'm going to bring him on here in just a second. And uh, I've been waiting a long time to have this guest come on. Uh, He's a busy guy. He takes the word be fruitful multiply to its extreme levels. <laughs> Has nine children and uh he's an author of the book uh, Beyond Creation Science. This is uh uh he's also pastor uh of a church and uh I'll let him uh go in a little bit of detail of himself. But uh this is uh brother Tim Martin. How's it going,
1: brother? Hey Derek, thanks for the invite coming on. I appreciate it, this is great.
0: Yeah, a lot of people uh they've been waiting for you to come out of the woodworks and uh <laughs>
1: we know right. your business
0: slows down, so you know.
1: Yeah, we have kind of a seasonal schedule here with the family and, and all the stuff that we do. So when I wrote when I first wrote the the initial sort of abstract for Beyond Creation Science, I had three kids. And uh the second edition in two thousand five, um working with Jeff Vaughn on that one a little bit cuz he came kind of came on as an editor at that point and I had five kids at that point so then uh the third edition we we brought I brought Jeff Jeff Vaughn as a co-author and he contributed uh tremendously to that uh, piece of work and and uh, so now I have nine children and a farm that I didn't have before <laughs> And my wow. regular my regular business stuff plus the responsibilities with with uh, congregational ministry that I'm involved in here it makes it kind of a different different uh, <laughs> different scenario than it used to be. I used to have all the winter off I could study and and write and and uh, read books and kind of uh, you know just play around with my own hobby type studies and now it's sort of like the winter even though I live in Montana where it's it's really, really cold for a big chunk of the year. My work season's kind of bled into both ends, so it kind of cuts it cuts it back as far as time off to do a lot of that stuff. So I feel like I'm behind from now. For now, I, I, I watch you guys, some, some of the guys that are on the Internet doing studies and research and talking about you know some developments since the book came out. And I kind of feel like I'm behind everybody because it seems like there's a lot a lot of material out there now with the ancient Near East stuff and uh different books being published and stuff that I haven't fully caught up on, so um that's kind of the kind of the story in a nutshell where we are now where we came from, so
0: Well, I, I wouldn't say you're behind. I mean I would say there's different angles in which people right. are coming at this. And there's different uh there's different, if you will, expertise for some folks. Um, Like Jeff Vaughn, to me, every time I think of Jeff Vaughn, wonderful brother, I I just see him in like a science coat, you know, sitting in the (laughs) lab experimenting and trying to like analyze. And he's like, well, look at the uh, tablets here. And then look at it, you know, like he's just, he's the scientist for it. Then you have Luther Williams, which uh, Luther G. Williams, I talk to him all the time. He's a numbers guy. You've got you. You're like the story guy, you know? I love stories in the Bible. And uh, there's just so many angles at which you can come to the scriptures and uh, really get to the truth. Right. God's
1: word—it's amazing, you know. Yeah, and that's a pretty good, accurate assessment. You know, I spent—I spent quite a bit of time with Jeff, and and uh, what he, when he found my first try, it was like beyond creation science, how preterism refutes a global flood and impacts the Genesis debate. That was 2001. He found that on online, on our church website, actually, um, sort of as an abstract. It was like, I think it was like 30 pages long, just just fairly small compared to what we have today. And he just kind of went bonkers over it, and he was like, man, this is just amazing stuff. Because he kind of, he comes from a little different background from me, but he was also having the same troubles that I was having, you know, dealing with the Genesis creation debate and, you know, the whole... The big thing in Christianity right now, and has been for a long time, is the old Earth, young Earth debate. You know how the Bible and science meet, and all that rigmarole that's going on, and people fight over all kinds of stuff. So he was kind of coming from that background. I was coming kind of coming from the same thing, even though our church traditions were very different. We were very uh, much on the same page. So he came in and he was like, challenged me on all kinds of stuff and asked me questions I had never thought of before. And it was kind of funny because at the very beginning, you know he was at the at the point as a scientist, he was doing his work he knew he knew what he was doing with his work, and he was studying his Bible, he was very much historically minded uh with the, with the scriptures, very well immersed in the scriptures at the same time, so you know he was kind of at the point where I will never understand genesis i'm i'm just i know what it doesn't say but I, I'm just at a loss for what Genesis is all about. And I kind of felt the same way. In fact, I mentioned a few things along that line in the first couple editions of Beyond Creation Science. And I said, look, everybody, there's been so many different tries at Genesis, it's almost disheartening. Because, you know, you look at all these different ideas that were out there. I mean, even like the gap theory. It was huge a hundred and something years ago. The gap theory was just big. You know, this idea that there's this gap between the original creation of the world, millions and millions and millions of years ago in Genesis 1, and then this sort of recreation, reconstitution view of of the days of Genesis that happened relatively recently. And uh, that was very, very popular 150 years ago. And it kind of made room for, you know, an old earth that nobody really questioned in the 19th century, uh, at least early parts of the 19th century. And... um, they left room for that, and left room for you know a typical, fairly literal reading of Genesis creation, um, more or less, dealing with physical stuff, and so everybody was happy with that. But but you look at it today, you know, the gap theory is like almost gone. <laughs> I don't even know if there's anybody out there, you know, actually supporting it and developing it scholarly. It's just like vaporized. It, people went either young earth creationism or they went to you know, day age stuff or they went, you know, all over the place but but that gap theory is like dead. So I look at the history of it and I think, you know this is, this is a pretty big deal but I also see a lot of failures and stuff that you know, that really doesn't work that people have put a lot of time and energy and effort into and, and things that have captivated people's minds for decades if not centuries and you know some of it some of it it was interesting as a historical overview and how we got to the place we are today in the in the church especially in America with all the you know scientific uh scientific culture that we have and uh, so it's useful in that respect but it it just it blew it blows my mind to to think about how much work has been done on genesis and, and it really doesn't look like to me that the, the traditional views are going to be able to you know reconcile you know one side convincing the other or coming to any kind of long term uh conclusion, so you know that was Jeff's that was Jeff's and my work we we kind of was pushing on okay we we're not preterists here, and we start seeing uh covenant eschatology we start seeing and this was predating the time we met we were kind of both coming at it from the same viewpoint but um wait a second, this kind of changes everything that was that was our thought and what we were mulling over as far as how the covenant eschatology, how the preterism the view of a covenant context in in the end of the world, the last days of the old covenant order with Israel at the center of that, how that would change genesis creation so that that kind of that kind of gives you an idea of where we how it kind of came to be
0: yeah i I remember listening to an audio uh recording. Uh, by the way, if anyone's interested in, in hearing some stuff, man, you've got to go
1: to BeyondCreationScience.com. is it dot com. Yes, BeyondCreationScience.com dot com is the site for the for the actual book, and it's kind of limited to that side of things. Uh, at the, we should probably mention at the same time uh, there is a there is a website for the congregation I'm a part of, and um, we do a lot of preaching and stuff like systematic preaching. So if you want to see like the theology of covenant creation I probably would direct someone more to my sermons because you know what you were saying earlier different guys have different uh, specialties and different sort of interests and and focus on different things um my my ministry here with a congregation called Covenant Community Church in Whitehall Montana has been more along the lines of studying uh, the biblical text and 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 the theology as it develops and you know a, a very rigorous technical exegetical study and from those sermons you know a lot of the material is being developed just in the studying of God's word that I can use later for uh, for more work in the in the future as that as that develops. Because really, I was preaching. I was preaching for about ten years before I wrote Beyond Creation Science, and a lot of a lot of the details, especially at the very end of Beyond Creation Science, in the last couple chapters, um, was derived mainly from from my studies for preaching. Really, preaching is where it all comes from for me. So, but that that website for the for Covenant Community Church in Whitehall, Montana, is TruthInLiving.org. O-R-G and uh, you can click on the church there in the sermon section and you'll find all kinds of data, you know huge database of uh sermons and stuff and teaching that that I've done and, and there's been there's other preachers here too we actually don't have one pastor we kind of share the load we're small congregation so it makes sense in our in our situation to do that so so the book yeah, website is yeah the book book website is beyondcreationscience.com and that's really related to the book but as far as the development studies with covenant creation and the theology of covenant, the the, the uh, approach of having a covenant context to Scripture from beginning to end, you're going to see that more in the sermons, which are at truthandliving.org dot org.
0: dot org. I I know that I I got the link from you directly from Facebook, but anyone listening, if you haven't been there and listened to. Everything Tim has uh, done in terms of sermon wise, I totally recommend it. I've been literally immersed in your in your sermons, and brother, I I you know I do a lot of outside work, so sure. I don't have a pen and paper in hand to write down right. notes. But there's so many things that go through my mind that I I'd, I'd love to have you know conversation on questions that come up and just you know to emphasize on. I know you're going through the series in Matthew right now, and right. I'm blown away. I mean, I'm really blown away at what I'm seeing. And so the way, I, the way I understand this, you know, I titled the program Genesis Through Revelation. It's all about Christ. And we, right. we're bringing you on as a guest. And so it's all about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and how that makes sense in the beginning. So kind of like watching a cool movie or a really deep-stop cool movie, and I've used this analogy before. You know, you watch the whole movie, and you get to the beginning, and you go, oh, wow, and you get like maybe one twentieth of what it's actually saying, but you get the gist of it. And then you rewatch the movie, and you catch details at the beginning that you never caught with the conclusion at the end. And so coming from the end, understanding the full uh, fulfilled eschatology or preterism, uh, we now look and we go, okay, let's let's rewatch this movie of scripture, if you will. Let's go yeah. back and re-read what we saw And check the details out because now we know nothing was put in the Word of God for no reason. Everything was put there for a purpose. So we begin to check that and examine that out. That's at least that's a presupposition of mine. I don't think anything in there is put there by accident. The the writers are theologically trying to teach you a truth or teach you something. And so, how did you how do you uh, you know view this Genesis to Revelation in Matthew? What are some of the things you maybe been coming across in Matthew, or some things you might want to talk about in terms of Reevaluating
1: Genesis and going, wow, okay, check out the puzzle here. You know,
0: I know it's a big right.
1: topic, and yeah, you know, it is. It is big, and and you've got the right the right analogy there, the right metaphor of, of rewatching a movie. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people look at the scriptures as if it's just, you know, this is what the what the uh, what the text says, and they use various parts of the Bible as a proof texting kind of system. So you have this idea we're going to build our theology on the foundation of scriptures and they'll take little verses out to prove whatever their theological conclusions are and and any systematic theology does this you know all over the map so so we have this this idea in Christianity today in America where you know as long as you like use the bible to prove something or use as your inspiration or this phrase you know as your guiding principle or whatever you're good you're a good christian but you, you know that 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 is such a simplistic approach to the bible that um that it really doesn't uh give you a long-term foundation because somebody else can proof text something else and you're left with well who's proof texting right you know who's using that verse right or what about his verses <laughs> you know what i'm saying there's like it's like chaos it's like uh there's no real Rhyme or reason or order So you know One of the big draws for me When I first started reading about Preterism stuff When I was a teenager I was reading about Preterist stuff I was reading David Chilton And Gary DeMar and some other guys That were doing Preterist stuff and It made made What's going on in the New Testament make sense It was like you can read this parable And you're like oh I know what Jesus is talking about He's talking about You know um, Israel you know the kingdom getting taken from Israel and given to uh, new people or, or made new people and then you got you've got all this stuff in the new testament that about the time statements and about this stuff going on real soon and uh, a description of using the prophets which if you go back to the prophets they were talking about national judgment and stuff when they used that kind of language of heaven and earth collapsing and things like that it was it was like it was like a, a, an awakening that there is a story that makes sense with Bible prophecy, but specifically in the New testament, so um, when I came to that point of view, and it kind of drove me to study more, I kind of came to the covenant eschatology viewpoint, um looking at the coming of Christ in the context of the old covenant world of Israel and stuff like that. It made everything sort of fit it made it made things make sense what what the apostles were talking about in their letters about you know this this debate going on and, you know, what the critics of Christ are saying, that everything's going on as it always has been, and, uh, you know, Peter and places like that saying, no, we, we have this promise and this is going to take place, and putting that together with the history really made sense. So I kind of came to the conclusion that there was this order, there that, that was this, what you say about this idea that everything's there for a reason it's because if you're looking at the story then things confirm the story by making sense and um some of the some people have t- talked about the bible being high content literature the idea that there's you know there's the plain reading of the scriptures but some in worked inside of the text itself are images and metaphors and and poetic structures and even numbers that are meant to be taken in ways that are more than just a surface value, and uh you know when i when i when I came to that preterism conclusion, it just led me directly to start thinking about Genesis in terms of that covenant focused emphasis that we see in the rest of the bible and so when when mm-hmm. i'm when I'm preaching when I'm preaching through a text like Matthew, most people don't realize. Even the gospels, like Matthew or Mark, inside of the stories and even the miracles that are recorded, there are things recorded for a reason that has that sort of poetic dimension to it that communicates something in ways that are more than just, you know, reading reading a, paper, uh, a, a word on a page. And, Can you give us an example? Okay, so I'll give you a couple examples in the miracles, okay? So um, one of the very first miracles in Matthew is when Jesus heals a leper. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those miracle stories, and people read the miracles and say, oh, that's nice. You know, Jesus Jesus has divine power or whatever. But the way that he heals in various scenarios is extremely significant because uh, in the example of healing a leper, It says that Jesus reached out and touched him, and he became whole, and then Jesus told him to go show himself to the priest. Well, touching a leper, according to the law of Moses, is like, you don't do that, because that uncleanness in the leper gets transmitted to the person who gets touched. Okay, so if you're thinking about this in terms of Israel's history and Israel's law, you know, None of the rabbis would ever do that in Jesus' day. Nobody wanted to be, like, tainted by that uncleanness. But here Jesus is, and he touches the leper and makes him whole. And it sort of shows the authority that that Jesus has to be able to touch the leper. And the uncleanness, rather than flowing from the leper to him, the cleanness from him flows to the leper and makes him whole. So it just sort of presents Jesus as having this sort of authority over um you know the the kind of management of death and and those things that symbolize death like leprosy did in Christ himself and it, sh- it showed his authority and his power in a very poetic way um and then you get like for then you can like, like if you read another healing so i was just preaching through Matthew 11 which leads right into Matthew 12 where there's this debate in the synagogue about the sabbath and Jesus has a long discussion about the Sabbath and their understanding of the Sabbath. He goes to the Old Testament with David, uh, eating the eating the holy bread in the temple and stuff like that. And then at the very at the very end of this conflict in the synagogue, okay, Jesus speaks to the man. Right. This is after he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, which, from a Hebrew mindset, that's pretty big. I mean. God is the one who made the Sabbath. God himself is the Lord of the Sabbath because God set that day aside by his voice on the seventh day by, by making that day holy. And that's the basis for the Sabbath law and the law in in Exodus and Deuteronomy and, and other places. The idea is that, that God set that aside at creation and so it's holy to Israel, a sign for Israel. Well, in that... In that healing at the synagogue, the man with the withered hand, Jesus speaks to the to the man with the withered hand to stretch out his hand, and when he stretched out his hand, it was it was made whole. There is that voice aspect of that healing, which is just like the way God created the Sabbath. Call it a Sabbath healing, because Jesus doesn't work, doesn't reach out his hand to actually do something. He speaks the healing. Into existence for that man. So that's what I'm referring to. There's 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 these aspects of the of the text that are not just communicating a historical event. They're theologically charged, so that anybody reading this with the understanding of the Old Testament and the understanding of the history of Israel and the covenant flow of history would recognize who Jesus was in fulfillment of the prophets and fulfillment of the expectations which ultimately go all the way back to Genesis. So that's what I'm referring to, is there's this high-content nature of the literature. And, um, you know, for me, having the having the covenant eschatology on one side, the understanding of covenant eschatology and preterism, and how that works within a covenant context and, and the judgment and stuff like that coming soon, and then having a view of the Genesis creation as be, the beginning of that uh Covenant Order, uh, which Israel is at the very center of from the very beginning with Adam. It it allows me to have a context to see the text where those nuances pop up and what the significance of those things are. And uh, it's it's pretty exciting to watch because it's it's like every page we're running into creational motifs, creational kinds of things even Jesus with his his baptism in in Matthew 3 there is a creational motif there of the holy spirit hovering over Jesus uh and coming down upon him in the form of a dove there's a mention of a dove there i mean that's that's a creation text because Jesus is the new creation he is the one coming up out of the water so to speak just like you had the land com- coming up out of the water in in the creation week you see what i'm saying yeah. Is that is, that, is yeah. that too far is that
0: too far out? No, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I I mean, obviously, you know, I've been uh digging and I've been coming to some interesting things. And, you know, I, I've been reading Frank Phoebus and stuff and just kinda of talking to him here and there. And I thought it was interesting. He might actually uh jump on one of these days, uh, you know, doing like every other week. He might host a little show. Because man, yeah, when that I,
1: guy gets, dude. You don't want to interrupt him. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I've talked it. with Frank. I've talked with Frank a couple of times, and he's been very supportive of the work, and he's kind of going that same general direction as Covenant Creation. So, it's neat. That's yeah. Neat stuff. He mentions like Earth or the, the word gi, you know, mm-hmm. uh, means land. And
0: when we look in Second Peter three, the the heavens and Earth is in the water and out of the water, talking about Noah's day. I think we can go even a step further. Uh, being on careful ground here and state that what we see going on um, with what you were just mentioning uh, pertaining to creation account and so forth, that kind of the idea of baptism that we see in day two in Genesis, right. um, the water separated from waters, and then day three you see land appears out of the right. water, thriving. Right. the same thing is kind of going on through the story, if you will, in Noah's day, and right. then, you know, it's amazing to see the pattern of, and I love how you tied that in, too, in your series of Matthew. This is a little like teasers for people. They need to go listen to your sermon series because you see a pattern. Like you right. said, high content. There's a baptism where Moses and the, and the children of Israel are traveling through right. the Dead Sea waters. The waters are separated from the waters, day two. Mm-hmm. A pure dry land, day three. They travel through, and there's this idea of baptism, right. which both the Hebrews and the New Testament points to, that they were baptized through the Dead Sea. And so you're like, okay, there's two baptisms in the Old Testament. They go through that, the Dead Sea and then the River Jordan to get into the Promised Land. Right. And then there's two exactly. baptisms in the New
2: Testament,
0: John, right. and then the, the baptism of Christ. It's just like, whoa, what's going on here? And you, you right. really do good at pointing this stuff out. And that's like, huh, if we didn't see Genesis this way, and if we didn't look at this stuff and see what's going on here, you know, this is what we're trying to figure out. I love how right. you, at least in creation science, basic, gave the basic premises.
2: And, and right. I would say
0: it also, you know, there are hints of deeper uh, things you're mentioning. But right. the details, we're trying to flush those, those details out as time goes on. Um, but, man, you, the patterns, you know, baptism in the old, all the way in Genesis 1, we see a baptism going on. Right, uh, exactly. The idea of coming out of something into something else, you know,
1: separation. Exactly and that and that structure is there and it happens over and over again it happens in the prophets uh places like Daniel are really structured around creation motifs cuz you know Daniel's giving a prophecy about the new creation so um the the structure of creation uh, I also have a ser- sermon series on that truthandliving.org site that kind of takes the days of creation as sort of a prologue sort of an index sort of a outline for the rest of covenant history And uh, I took You know the seven days Of Genesis 1 And sort of matched them up with The history of Israel And how it sort of develops um, You know Norm Voss is actually That's kind of where where his Real contribution has been Is, is on the, the 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 six days of creation Genesis 1 and the Sabbath rest And how that sort of Is a Sort of a template for the way history, covenant history unfolds. And uh, he he kind of was work, kind of working off of the old August, Augustinian idea, because Augustine Augustin had a concept of a prophetic creation week as well. And uh, he had some weird stuff going on because he had a futurist view of the end of the world, physical world. And he was trying to work that in there, so it didn't work out real well. but. That's the yeah. neat thing about covenant creation, though, is we can take a lot of stuff, and I, and I will say that there are commentaries that I that I have that I use, um, you know, R.T. France and and even uh, N.T. Wright and some other guys. They kind of see some of this stuff. They kind of like see, well, this is an illusion here, and but they only mention it. They really don't develop it, and and mm-hmm. the reason they don't develop it is because they don't see the significance of it. Because they're working at it from sort of a you know, partial predator view that hasn't put everything together, so they kinda of miss the significance of things. So I'm not I'm not here to say that, you know, I'm on something totally brand new that nobody else is thinking about. I think I think we're working with a lot of the work that's already been done and developing it further and really just uh highlighting highlighting stuff that, that uh we're just beginning to get an awareness of its significance. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Tim, suppose someone new, open minded, just just someone who, you know, they have a good basic structure of Old and New Testament. They've read um, you know, they've read Old Testament and they they really kinda like got a very uh I like to use the uh, thirty thousand feet in the air view. They got a very general basic view but they didn't understand details. And let's just suppose they—they they just now embarking upon uh, preterism. They, they see the time statements. They recognize the imminence of Christ's coming. They're reading it. They see it. Um, how would how would you uh, approach someone with that and kind of pointing to them? Hey, you're getting preterism. Um, check out Covenant Creation because it fits in. How would how would you kind of show them in the text of Scripture? If they're like, Bible
1: alone, Bible alone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What would sure. you... Um Well, I I would say. I would first of all look at the language of the roots in the Old Testament with, you know, like Isaiah 65 and the prophecy of the new heavens and the new earth. And I'd point out how this chain of, you know, the heaven and earth passing away, which we all understand is is a covenant order uh, as preterists, preterist. This heaven and earth is passing away. Um, I'd go back to the Old Testament and show that the prophets, were working with Genesis in mind when they were making those prophecies. So there's like this, this chain that links up what Jesus is talking about heaven and earth passing away in his Olivet discourse and things like that. That goes back to the prophets, and Jesus isn't making anything else new. He's working with what the prophets already foretold. And to understand the prophets in terms of Israel and heaven and earth, you know, passing away for Israel, what that meant, lights out for the nation. Uh, judgment, covenant judgment. Okay, so I would say you start there and you work your way back using the same language and say, well, if if Jesus isn't making anything up here new, he's working from the context that he already had from the prophets, then you have to ask yourself, well, where are the prophets working from? And when you start seeing them use, like in uh, Jeremiah 4, you know, Jeremiah 4 talks about, uh, you know, the, the heavens being dark and it's using all this stuff right out of Genesis 1 and it's re- applying that to the lawlessness and covenant breaking of Israel and how that brought the entire old covenant creation into darkness and chaos and, and just total wipe out of that order well Jeremiah is using Genesis 1 and I would argue that Jeremiah can use Genesis 1 like that because Genesis 1 was about that same topic. In other words, there's no breaking of the chain there from Jeremiah 4 back to Genesis 1. So I would I would start with a language like that. But I would also go directly to the New Testament. And I would go to places like Hebrews 1, 10, 11, which talk about the, the the earth and the heavens passing away. And it says, you know, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the earth and the heavens. They will pass away, but you remain forever. And it uses all the same language. And it actually references in the beginning. You know, Genesis 1. That's that's where that language comes from in Hebrews 1, 10, 11. And I'd say, look, they, they understood this as the Genesis 1 creation as passing away to make way for the new covenant. Uh, Revelation 21, 1. John goes in the whole structure of heaven, earth, and sea. Um, the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There was no more sea. He's working from Genesis chapter 1 because that's the structure of that, that creation account. So I would argue that, that to, basically on two textual levels. I would argue on the chain of the language all the way back to Genesis 1, which is where it all comes from. And then I would also argue it based on the explicit statement of the Apostles who understood that the creation story was not about the physical universe 'cause it's you know, you can't have the physical universe passing away and be a preterist in the first century, it just doesn't work. But they understood mm-hmm. that as a covenant order passing away. And I, I would even say Paul, you know, Paul goes and starts talking about, you know, male and female and, you know, um, marriage being a great mystery about Christ and the church and he says well, he, he talks about marriage, but then he says, "But I'm talking about the mystery of Christ in the church," which tells you that the story of the 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 man and the woman in Genesis one is ultimately prophetic, a type of Christ in the church. Because Paul does it. That's how I would argue. Because Paul does it, and if Paul does it, he's using it properly, and so we have to follow that example. We can't just take the Old Testament and say, "Well, we have our ideas of the Old Testament." and then all these apostle guys they're using it in different ways so they're just making stuff up that that just that just there's a lot of levels that that doesn't work on and uh that's that's how i'd approach it basically two two ways
0: yeah i i think we're turning the heat up a little bit in here now we're starting to get a little bit uh warm <laughs> which is interesting because I think that that's really all this stuff combined. It took a lot to, you know, if you will, persuade me to come to this conclusion. But then again, when I'm looking into something, I I literally will spend every moment investigating it until I either get it or throw it away. Um, but that, first, like that, to
1: see that's it. what's so cool about watching watching you, Derek, and a few other guys that are new to this stuff is the energy and the excitement you guys bring to this. You know, putting up radio shows and and. Posts and stuff. That's that's what I that's that's what I get encouraged about is watching you guys.
2: <laughs> Thanks,
0: folks. <bro. laughs> well, you know, it's I mean, it's God's word that really um, keeps getting me going. It's just the best story I've ever heard. You know, God's word is is the best story there is. It, it's so right. deep and enriched with things spiritually. That I know why it makes so much sense to why they missed it, why the Israelites really missed it in so many ways. And you know, it was interesting because now that I'm seeing these things, I'm seeing this, if you will, high content uh, spiritual structure within the, within a uh, within the structure of what's being written. Kind of like you might say, well, the the miracle at Canaan, you know, the six uh, water pots and stuff, the miracle you there and all that. Well, really, in a deeper sense, <clears throat> that whole miracle is foreshadowing the marriage between Christ and the church. But right. most people miss that. They think it's just, oh, well, it's just a wedding and came, and wow, he turned water into wine. Uh, cool. I like how uh, Robin Zacharias, he is a futurist, but he has some good stuff. He says, um, the water salts maker and flushed. Right. You know, the water salts maker and it's which is really poetic and nice. But they miss the, <clears throat> there's a deeper thing in the high content of language. When I was looking at Revelation 1 and I was reading about John's vision or when he saw Christ, which I believe it to be the corporate Christ that he's seeing right. now, um, his voice was like many waters. And I was thinking, what is many waters? I always thought it was like a waterfall or, man, he's probably got an echoey, echoey voice. I had no clue, you know. I said, what does this mean? You know, And then I started looking at the many waters and I started mm-hmm. looking in the book of Revelation and it's right. nations. Right. It's nations, tongues, tribes. It's 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 like, wow, so now he is speaking, you know, through people all over. This is this is the all the nations, tribes, tongues, kindreds of the world that are speaking and it's Christ who's talking through them. And mm-hmm. it, there's a lot going on there and it's much deeper. Of course that's revelation. And I love yeah. what you did in the BCS book, Beyond Creation Science. You showed the similarities between how the structure of Genesis is written Right. And the way that Revelation is written, and it's divided up just like Genesis. Genesis one is divided up, but we're getting we're getting hotter because I love how you connect those dots. I remember you talking on a broadcast about um, Jesus calming the 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 stormy sea. Right. Calm the sea. Now th- there's so much going on in that story. I just thought he was in a boat, you know, and just calmed the sea, and wow, he has power over the sea. That's it. But there's more going on in this story.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's a, a great story. Uh huh. So
0: if you want to share like some some more of this stuff, because that's that's what gets me going, brothers, connecting okay. those dots wherever you want. You don't have to start there. If you want to, you can. Whatever.
1: Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the to marriage at Cana, because that's that's a great example of how this structure works. The Marriage at Cana is in John two. All right, and if you go back to John one. John 1 opens with in the beginning. All right? And that gets everybody's attention. Okay, so you have John 1 opening with the same phrase in, as Genesis 1. And then if you read John 1, there's going to be stuff going on in John 1 on various days. So this day this happened. And he talks about the Word becoming flesh. He talks about, uh, well, he uses the you know the, the language of, you know, um, through him all things were made, without him was uh, nothing was made that has been made. So it's a creation motif in John 1. But if you read John 1, you're going to see that there are actually days going on in the ministry of Christ. And if you count them, you, it leads you up to day 6 in John 2, which is a wedding. Mm-hmm. Perfectly matching day 6 in Genesis creation, where you have the man... Male and female being created, so even that even that that wedding at Canaan fits within a structure. If you look real carefully at John one, you're going to see the whole creation week unfold to that sixth day, which culminates with the wedding at Cana. The uh, the example that you gave about um, Jesus going across the sea, there is uh, some interesting connections to the story of Jonah in that. I believe I believe that was Mark. I probably got that from the Mark sermon that uh that I had that in that text. Um Jesus is asleep at, in the in the bottom of the boat, just like Jonah was sleeping as the storm began in, back in the story of Jonah. Um all the disciples are terrified of dying, just like the crew in uh, the story of Jonah was terrified of dying. Uh-huh. And and the story of, you know, Jesus standing up and speaking to the wind and the waves and making them perfectly still was a miracle, but it was a sign that was going to prepare them for what happens next in the story. Because when Jesus sails across the sea, across, I believe it's the Sea of Galilee there, when he gets to the other side, that's a Gentile region. That's the the region of the Decapolis, of the Ten Cities which was not considered part of Judea. It was sort of a semi-autonomous region that uh, was all populated by Gentiles. And you have Jesus casting out the demon from the demoniac who's running among the tombs there. And Jesus speaks, casts out the demon, and settles down this particular crazy individual in a Gentile region. So the sign on the lake, the sign on the sea prepares them for Jesus going to a gentile area which gentiles are always see they're always uh, symbolized by you know the chaos of the waves and the up and down and and uh, uh just just the darkness and the the uncertainty of the sea sort of fits with the gentile nations if you think about the history of Israel in Old Testament and you have Jesus going across the sea speaking to the wind and the waves calming them and he goes and he casts out demons a demon with a demoniac, and he calms a Gentile through his ministry and' that of course prefigures what's going to happen with the gospel going out to the Gentiles and and things, even in the ministry of Christ, even though he was focused primarily with Israel and his ministry to israel um there's always these hints that that uh it's not gonna stay within israel you know cor- the uh the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and asks him about his servant and uh Jesus starts to go to the Roman centurion's house but the the centurion says no 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 don't bother yourself i'm under authority i know what it's like to be a man of authority just say the word and my servant will be healed that's a gentile asking for salvation asking for healing mm-hmm. and from that hour the servant in the in the in the uh the servant in the the centurion's household is healed. And in that text in Matthew, what Jesus begins to talk about at that point in time, he says he starts talking about the great banquet with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he says that in that day many will come from the east and the west. In that in that context it would be, you know, Babylon, Persia would be East, the West would be Greece and Rome and join Abraham in this feast. So so even hmm. in the ministry of Christ there is you know when he when he's dealing with a centurion he understands that legal jurisdiction of a gentile there and he begins teaching about the coming banquet of, of Abraham which the prophets foretold in Isaiah and he talks about others being gathered there with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, which would be Israel, right? So he's teaching them about all this stuff and preparing. He's laying the foundation, the theological foundation, for later in the New Testament, when you have, you know, Gentiles coming in and and the Jews wondering what to do with these people. Do we make them get circumcised? Do we make them, you know, eat kosher? Do they have to stay away from unclean foods? And can we eat with them becomes a big question too, because of the traditions of the elders about not eating with Gentiles. So this stuff is woven into the stories. And it's 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 not you know, a lot of the scholarship looks at this as if, you know, Matthew is a is a Jewish book and Paul is a Gentile book and you know, they're at, at totally different views. I mean, Paul's just making new stuff up and is contradicting everything in Matthew. No, not <laughs> if you read the story. Not if you read the story, it's right there. It's just there's this development of what this means as the fulfillment sort of unfolds. Um so that that's the kind of stuff that I that I work with. But that that's kind of stuff is all the way back in Genesis with um you know the stories in Genesis. Uh we we tend to have a pretty high fixation on the Old Testament um Genesis view of the fall like in Genesis chapter 3 and that sort of dominates modern Christian theology, systematic theology because kind of that's where everything begins. So you know, we have prophecy in genesis 3:15 that everybody recognizes as prophecy but uh, for some reason we're supposed to take the rest of genesis creation as literally and it just doesn't make sense even w- with traditional theological terms that uh, if you have prophecy in genesis 3 there's something else going on here that's that's much more covenantally oriented but you look at you look at our history of of christian theology and and the american scene we make a big deal about Adam's fall and of course Eve being tempted and, and et cetera. But in the story of Genesis, that is a recurring pattern and theme with virtually all of the patriarchs in Genesis. So, you know, we all know the story about Eve giving Adam the fruit and tempting Adam after Eve was tempted by the serpent and things like that. But there is kind of there kind of is another fall with Cain and the story of Abel, and the idea of being you know Abel or Cain being driven from- driven from the presence of God there is kind of another fall story, so you kind of have two deaths there, and that kind of sets the scene for the New Testament idea of two deaths going on but the the rest of the patriarchs kind of go through this same pattern of another fall. Like sort of a echo of the Adamic story, so you have you have you have Noah kind of next in the in the patriarchal line from Adam, and Noah is considered righteous. He finds grace in God's eyes, and he you know we have the whole flood story. But after the flood, when you know he goes out, he's he he's represented as being in another garden. He's in in a vineyard. And he makes wine and he gets drunk. So you have this idea of a fall of Noah, which of course, if you read the story, you get this idea of a son being involved and the curse that comes on one of his sons. So even in the the Noahic story, you have like a recapitulation or a, a repeat of a fall like what you had with Adam. And and later you get to Abraham. Abraham is, is sort of interesting because Abraham is mentioned as being one who had gold and wealth and riches. Um, Adam was was spoken of as being around gold as well. So the next time that gold comes up in Genesis, it's actually related to, to Abraham. And so you have the story of Abraham, you know, coming coming into the, the land from Mesopotamia and you know god gave him a promise about a son and the promise didn't happen very quickly it was actually a long delayed promise but along the way even after god promised him that he would have a son to inherit the promise and inherit uh abraham's household uh his wife sarah comes and offers him a temptation which is here take my maidservant hagar that you can have a son through her and continue the line. And that, that is fruit,
2: right?
1: Yes, yes, that is exactly right. There is a fall right there in the text of Genesis with Abraham. He does the same thing that Adam does. He takes the he takes what is offered to him by his wife and that whole next chapter or two is chaos in Abraham's life. It's just a disaster. Okay? And we can keep going through these stories, and it's like each of these patriarchs is having another fall and It's not so much that 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 Adam is everything; it's that Adam sets the tone for what all comes to take place in the story. Well, you keep working your way through the book of Genesis and you end up getting to the story of joseph and and this is this is where the neat stuff starts kicking in because most theologians most. Um, Commentaries will say Joseph Is a type of Christ And they'll say yeah he was thrown in the pit He was brought back out He was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh the king Who was ruler of the world Oh great pictures of Jesus Christ But if you read the story of Joseph What stands out about Joseph In comparison to all the other Patriarchs is that there's nothing ever Bad said about Joseph Right I mean he has visions He has dreams of you know the, The stars of the sky sun moon and Stars of the sky, being his family, and wheat in sh- in uh, shocks, being his family. So you got heaven and earth there in his visions, represented by the elements of heaven and earth. And Joseph is never really presented as being guilty. In fact, the one temptation that he does have with Potiphar with the uh, uh, was it Potiphar's wife. He succeeds mm-hmm. in that temptation and goes into jail, another death form, where he comes back oh. out and is is raised. So what you have with the story of Joseph is sort of the break in the line, sort of the perfect patriarch in a way that none of the other patriarchs were before him. And it's interesting, if you read the story in terms of Genesis, the big thing with Joseph is that he prepares Egypt for the famine, and he gathers up the grain. Well, one of the curses in Genesis 3 is that, you know, you're going to have to work the ground by the sweat of your brow to get your food, right? And so the story Mm -hmm. of Genesis comes to full fruition with Joseph, who is raised to the right hand of Pharaoh, and he gathers up the food, so that when the drought comes, when the famine comes, Joseph is instrumental in bringing food, not just to Egypt, but to the whole world. Because all the other nations had to come to, come to, to Egypt and sell their possessions and sell their selves and the land in order to get the bread that Joseph was instrumental in presenting. And a lot of people read that story and they're like, why is he working for an evil king? Over Egypt, or whatever, and it's like, no, no, you missed the whole point. He is the Messiah, and that's what the Messiah does. He comes and he brings bread for all the nations, and all the nations you know agree to service of the king, which is Jesus Christ, so it's like we miss the story, we miss the 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 prophetic nature of the history of of genesis so i mean if if I'm right about that particular view overview of Genesis, what you really have in the book of Genesis from beginning to end is a mini-story of the whole Bible in the book of Genesis so that when Israel is in Egypt in captivity, they've already got, in prophetic form, all of God's word from the book mm. of Genesis. And as you go and you watch this story develop from the patriarchs to the nation, you know, with Sinai being the birth of a nation, um, sort of a new development in God's work of, of of covenant creation in the history of Israel. You see Israel doing the very same things as the patriarchs. They went and intermarried, they broke covenant with God, they had their fall, which led to Israel being cast out of the land, just like, you know, Adam was cast out of the land, out of the out of the garden as part of the curse so you have this repetition repetition of the patriarch story in the story of the nation of Israel in the land and that of course takes up the prophets which use all of this symbolism and imagery and history you know to their ends looking forward to you know a new time for Israel a new exodus a new creation a new heavens and new earth and a kingdom that ultimately will never end with Daniel. So that's that's just you know, just a just let me talk I and mean, that's just kind of the way I approach the scriptures. And it is kind of a thirty thousand foot view like you used the imagery before. But it's mm-hmm. that view based on the minutia of the text that that basically is put there to guide to guide anyone who wants to really understand this and and who values this as, you know, their history and sort of making sense out of their lives as well. So there's a pastoral dimension to it as well.
0: So I know that, uh, man, there's so many things that came to my mind. I was just giggling inside trying not to, like, interrupt because I get get excited. I get really, really excited um, whenever I'm actually listening to the things you're saying here because this makes sense. Every bit of this makes sense. And anyone who has seen these things, or at least some of the stuff, they're getting excited with what you're saying here. I know for a fact they are. This is some amazing stuff. Um, you know, one thing that keeps going on through my head, when you mention Joseph, for example, and he gathers the food, and all the nations of the world come to eat of this, it's yep. it's foreshadowing of the time of Christ where right. people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, this is not limited to 12 tribes of Israel.
2: No, um, no, no. It, it's, it's way
0: bigger than that. that it's and then on top of that, I think that you mentioned something about they sell what they have, and they came to Joseph to get food. Does that have something to do with the story of the rich man?
1: Sure. And I mean, that's, test- that's just the nature of the way those things, how those things, you know, undergo. I mean, Jesus tells the rich man to sell everything that he has because it's it's all based in the old world. It's all based in something that's gonna to come to an end and come crashing down and he wants him to invest in the new world that he represented mm. to them. So I mean there's there's a lot of different angles to that. But yeah, it it it, it is amazing how that, that kind of theme of riches and and uh property and 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 all that stuff fits within that covenant context. Mm.
0: You know so, Another thing that kind of blows me away is, you know, I've thought about, you know, when I first got into this, are we going to make an exegetical, you know, book a commentary on Genesis and really explain the details and stuff? And so with this understanding in mind and what you're showing, and I think this this makes a lot of sense. Of course, there's different angles that they approach it and uh, how it's spoken of in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But it's possible that... We could do an exegetical work with the fact that we have further revelation, kind of like looking further in Scripture to be able to really pin down the details of the beginning. Um, You know, the wise saying, the old is in in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. Um, You know, just looking at Genesis 1-1 and trying to exegetically interpret that apart from the rest of Scripture, it wouldn't make any sense without the rest of Scripture. And so right. you can't just go, oh, let's just uh, focus just on this. You have to use the rest of Scripture to really understand, you know, what is going on, no matter what. Agree, exactly. And so, you, you know, is it possible to do something like that, exegetical um, commentary, if you will, but using the rest of Scripture to shed light on what's going on earlier
1: in Scripture? right and i'm I'm seeing more and more attempts at sort of working out the the details of the imagery that's used in Genesis one and even later in you know Genesis two in the garden scene and what takes place with trees and animals and stuff and and uh i i I'm always very interested in those details, but I think we're so early in mm-hmm. in the whole study and what this means. Uh, we're just now getting into the ancient Near East stuff, which I I think I mentioned John Walton. Well, John Walton wrote a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And uh, I found that book to be revolutionary. Um, It was kind of unfortunate because we got done with Beyond Creation Science in December of 2007, published it. And his book came out, I believe it was in April or May of 2008. We missed it by like three or four months, four months, five months. And uh, it was just like, I just... I can't imagine what we could have done if we'd had this book earlier, because he really shows the ancient Near East context and cultural mindset of creation and how they viewed creation. It would have been it's it's a tremendous help. I recommend everybody to read that book if you're interested in covenant creation. I have some differences with John Walton, but it's just such a big step forward that it's, I I can't recommend it highly enough. So I think we we've got the study of the scriptures, but we also have the historical context that's going to take a while for this, you know, ancient Near East type of studies to to come along. We've only known some of this stuff. Some of this stuff is archaeologically, you know, basically brand new, the last 150 years or so. I mean, this is stuff that they're digging up still as we speak, and they're finding records and and writings and things that, um, boy, I mean, it has tremendous implications because we understand that, to understand you know, Jesus in the Gospels And the story You kind of have to understand Greco-Roman culture as well As Israel's history And of course Israel's history is all bound up In the development of Greece and Rome So there's a lot of things In the New Testament Sayings, imagery, metaphors Allusions That it helps you very much to understand Greece and Rome And I would say it's even more of the case uh when you get into genesis because it really sort of gives you it gives you sort of a context to to understand some of this language but but even that being said i don't know how far all of those details are going to be unwound into exact conclusions at the detail level because you know there's a lot of stuff even in the book of revelation that preterists know about and understand. We understand the the book of Revelation and the structure of Revelation fairly well. Um, David Chilton's Days of Vengeance is, is really good at sort of developing the unfolding of the book of Revelation the imagery, but, you know, there are still some things in the book of Revelation that I'm not sh- so sure I'd be dogmatic about taking one way or the other. Um, within the context of Israel's uh, Old Covenant Israel's end, I think it's pretty obvious. But, but how you take specific imagery in the Book of Revelation, at various points, I don't know. That's really all that important. And there, there may be some things that are left over in Genesis that, um, if if we do come to a conclusion on that down the road, it may be a while, and there may still be some loose ends rolling around. Um, but uh, that's kind of my view on it. I think, I think we're very very early i'm I'm kind of thinking in terms of a couple hundred years to get some of these studies ironed out, and I think it's gonna be kind of the wave of the future we're not just not just uh not just preterists i mean there's there's a lot of studying research going on with Genesis outside of you know covenant creation, what we call covenant creation, which is kind of just a bunch of amateurs running around. I'm just a kind of pyromaniac running around with Genesis so. Um, there there's, there's, going to be, there's going to be discoveries within mainstream genesis that are going to be very useful to understand genesis. And I think uh, my recommendation is to stay open to that kind of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to stay open because I can't tell you how many times I've,
0: if you will, been fixed on a position in the past before preterism, for example. And right. <laughs> when I was fixed on a position <laughs> – my entire foundation would fall, and I'd go, "Oh man, yeah. I, got, I got, I'm so embarrassed." Now I gotta go communicate this to everyone I know, and now I'm gonna be right. befriended, you know. Right. <laughs> so I'm comfortable with saying I'm open minded. Um uh, just feed me. Let me test all things, and I'm, I'm, I just need to be available to change. I can't tell you how many times my family members, my wife, my mother. My brother, and they're like, all right, what did you change your mind on this week? You know, and I'm like, well, listen, check it out. Don't throw any stones yet because I have some things I want to share. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things that blew me away is we read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Right. And, you know, I've heard that there's a couple different uh, people that, not just covenant creationists, but others who aren't even covenant creationists, who realize that it's saying something to the effect of when in summit God fattened the heavens and the earth. Right. Well um I think it's interesting uh, just throwing this out your way maybe you want to comment on it. But Luther uh Luther G. Williams and me, we've we've been communicating back and forth and he thinks that it would probably be easier, even though when in summit works, he thinks that uh it's easier to state when in head God fattened the heavens and the earth. And mm-hmm. um it, it's interesting, when I was reading the Book of Jubilees, and it talks about there's 22 creative acts in Genesis, uh, chapter one, you know, the six days, and you rest on the seventh. Um, there's 22 heads, he says, from Adam to Jacob. And um, the idea of headship is there. And so right. it's kind of like, you know, when in covenant head or resurrected, I, there's something going on, you know. He's building something up here and, and we see that right there in Hebrew
1: language In the
2: very first right. verse
0: it's
2: Right when you, when
1: you when you Stop assuming that Create the heavens and the earth Has to do with you know the be- Beginning of the space time Universe and all the physical Stuff of our universe Then you start seeing kind of Nuances in the Hebrew that Are very different <laughs> I mean that's just kind of how it works So yeah I, I think that is uh, a very important aspect of it, bara, I believe it's the Hebrew word bara there for create um, that has a big use in the prophets and it is related to covenant, which brings in the legal aspect of it and and I think we're kind of at a we're kind of at a disadvantage in modern American Christian culture right now because I don't. I don't think that we really understand the nature and importance of covenant for the Bible and for the Gospel. I would argue with, for Christ Himself. So, you know, I did a I did a sermon series a couple years ago um, called the Covenant Series, where I wanted to just introduce or reintroduce people to the centrality of covenant and what, why that's important, and the implications of covenant as far as the legal issues. Because when we talk about the old covenant world, there was a legal order there. And we talk about the new covenant world in Christ. There's a legal order there as well that's all kind of oriented around covenant. But we don't have a view of covenant like they did. And so we're coming to the table sort of handicapped. Um, Modern Christians are really handicapped because we don't see law and legal issues and jurisdiction as being that important to us. Because in the American scene, everything is individualistic. You know, we kind of come from a, a, a Christianity in America as it's developed is more of more of a me and Jesus kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's all that's important is the individual salvation of your soul. You know, for the to go to the place called heaven. And that's the way Christianity has been framed for hundreds of years. Actually, more than that, I think it's kind of an extension of. Roman Catholic thinking as well, but you know when 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 you see what the importance of covenant is, you know that has major implications for family life, it has major implications for how you relate to other Christians in a e especially in a congregational local setting, because you know we kind of view i mean here at, at our congregation we kind of view our relationship to others by covenant. And families by covenant with one another in a in a body, and we're committed to one another, so you know that just seems to me to be sort of the outworking of understanding the story better because we start seeing the importance of covenant, we start living it out, and that leads to wider and wider implications in the culture uh, because if you think about it our our American system is really kind of a covenant i mean it's it's not a Christian covenant it's sort of a a political. Empire covenant, where you have, you know, individual Americans have their connection to the system, and they they have certain arrangements with the system where they give certain things to the system and some, certain commitments, and the system turns around and takes care of them for their life. And we, you know, from various viewpoints, you have the idea that it's cradle to grave security. You know, it's like the way the system works It's very covenantal but Christians don't recognize it That way because they don't see the gospel Itself as The true Order of covenant blessing You know what I'm saying So yeah. I'm just Throwing some stuff out there that this covenant creation Stuff by bringing the issues Of of Legal jurisdiction And uh, covenant Relationship with God the king Of course Christ the king over everything, for his people. In that context, it has tremendous implications for how I think Christianity is going to develop in the next couple hundred years, five hundred years, maybe even thousands or thousands of years. And I don't think that we really understand how profound um, this covenant eschatology really is. I don't think we understand the, the unbelievable implications that will take generations to work their way out but um you know if it's if it's an accurate approach to the bible those implications will be worked out over time uh, that's the that's the nature of you know consistency of you know forcing the next step into people's studies and into the way people live based on their beliefs so that's kind of where i'm at with covenant i think that that's a study to me that's sort of like everything because um you cannot talk to American Christians about covenant eschatology with their mindset of individual salvation as being everything that the Bible's about. There's there's no compatibility there because they're talking about, you know, getting saved to go to heaven and everybody's going to be in heaven at the end of the world and the rapture is going to come take us away or the 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 great white throne judgment's going to inaugurate the eternal state. Okay, you cannot have a discussion with them. On those presuppositions So Covenant is really really important <laughs> I guess that's What I'm trying to say
3: <laughs>
1: and, and I think that uh, we need To emphasize that and, and Be about sort of the gospel Of Jesus Christ In the context of, uh, of Of the covenant nature of scriptures And present that to people
0: Wow I think you're definitely Right about that Um you know, the fact that this is growing already at an exponential rate, you know, we're really not, not too bad off in uh, covenant creation. You know, we're growing as well. Uh, we have new additions that are coming in here and there. And uh, with covenant eschatology, I, I didn't realize it was, as, it's not a huge thing, but it's getting bigger. And even since I've came in the scene and, and watched right. what's going on around it's like, wow, okay, there's new guys coming in out of nowhere. And they're all bringing something awesome to the table, like Brian right. Whitmarsh. That brought um he brought in uh, when we were you know in the private message, uh, he he brought in the whole fish, you know, going fetch oh, yeah, uh, man, that stuff. You know, he's not really been around that long, and he's really bringing some awesome stuff. Uh, you know, Ryan, uh, uh, how do you pronounce it? Capaldo, I believe it is. He brought in that whole idea of the tent from Noah you know with oh, right. nakedness tent in second corinthians 5 I'm, I'm like i'm shocked this is awesome everyone's bringing yeah. something to the table we're realizing more and more and uh you know i think that you're right over the next few generations um this will begin to grow and you know it, it's just amazing how god operates like this i think it's time to kind of move beyond what we've seen for so long uh, you know continue the reformation if you will right <laughs> but really
2: Form,
0: which is going to extend to the root of what a lot of churches, uh, you know, their their presuppositions are. But it's all about scripture and and understanding what they understood, how they understood it,
1: and really being open minded is the hardest part.
0: Because my yeah, pastor, th- he's
1: right no matter what. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, and that and that's that development, that growth is taking place within sort of a bigger context of scholarship and things. I mean, I like to read, N.T. Wright. And some of these other guys that are kind of big and common within, you know, Christian scholarly circles, and they're making good progress. They're understanding the importance of, you know, 8070 and what took place there in Israel, and and uh, how Josephus' history plays into all that stuff. That that wasn't very common, as common 100 years ago, and so now you're seeing it even in mainstream scholars. And I think they're just leading people closer and closer to, kind of where you and I are now. It's sort of the early days of all this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's neat to watch, no doubt. Very very encouraging.
0: This is awesome. I love seeing you guys come on. I, I like to communicate. I had my phone recently uh, lost or stolen. Not really 100% sure exactly what happened to it. You know, I'm always on the phone, you know, I'm on the go, I'm on the phone, hey, I got 15 minutes, hey, I got this thing, I, mean, I got time to talk, whatever. And there's new guys coming in, and they're ringing me up, and I remember early on, I was bugged, uh Michael Miano, and, you know, Jeff yeah. Arnold, give me a call, or uh, Sam Bradford, man, he's, he's like me, he's like, hey, I'm working, but I'm on the phone, I'm driving the truck, so I'll Bluetooth you in, and, you know, he, he's awesome, man, he, he's going to be doing a show tomorrow. And um, it's going to be at 12 o'clock, you know, lunchtime. And he he loves the – I remember he was infatuated. I don't know if he's still just uh, dead on um, on the topic of Barat. But, man, he was stuck on barah like, in this. I'm so glad he's stuck on it, you know, stuck on it like glue. But now he's going beyond that. He's dealing with nakedness. and He's talking about all this neat stuff, man. He's got all sorts of people. And it all started with, you know, planting little seeds and God's been using you and Jeff and other brothers who started realizing stuff, and it's like, what in the world? So uh, I've been fascinated with what's been going on. I wish, I so wish, I was part of the congregation where you're at to be there in person, you know?
1: But you know, we, right. we hear we hear from people all over the world that, that kind of tune in to our sermons and kind of watch our website. So it's, it's kind of neat because, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it kind of rattles me in the back of my mind because we're, I'm working within a small congregation. We've got, you know, eight, ten families here and a bunch of kids and stuff, and well, most of us here are homeschoolers and stuff. We're doing our own thing. But I get emails every once in a while from around the world. It's like, man, we we love your sermons and... Uh, the other day there was something not working on the website, so out of the blue we got this email. Hey, we're wondering, are you guys okay? Because we haven't seen anything updated recently on this sermon series, and we're really missing it. <laughs> so it's going out all over the place, and I, I hear the same thing that you're saying from other people too. They don't, they don't have any options where they live because they've either been ca- kicked out of churches or they're going to churches that, you know, they, they might be there for the fellowship or whatever, but the teaching is just you know, contrary to everything that they've come to conclude and and uh certainly not the direction they want to go. So they feel like they're all alone, you know, they're isolated. And there's not a lot of there's not a lot of churches out there that are, you know, willing to teach covenant eschatology or, or even talk about preterism. So um I just feel I feel like we're kinda at of the tip of the spear. We're kinda of the beginning wave and I think that there will be more um congregations that are formed in the future and I, I recommend to people to to you know, put the effort into starting something up if you can. If you can get a couple families together for a home a home church or a Bible study or something. That's that's really how this congregation came together. It started off as sort of a a Bible study in somebody's house. I mean it was it was that's really where it started, so um but that wow. that's that's gonna be I think that's a that's a big that's a big task but the rewards are very, very good, um, for, for, for committing yourself to the long haul. So if anybody's out there thinking about that, I, I would definitely highly recommend them to to uh jump in and, and start more congregational ministries and it doesn't even have to be like a typical church. I mean you don't have to have a building, you don't have to have your regular scheduled stuff like we think of as American church. None of that stuff is really necessary for a for a real covenant community to exist And uh, Anyway that's 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 my soapbox I guess I think that's good I think that's a good development I think that's where we're going As people yeah. change their minds
0: I think we're headed in that direction brother
1: um, Yeah You've got ten minutes
0: left We've got to know how to get a hold of you man How, how do we get a hold of Tim Martin When he's working and nine kids And
1: uh, <laughs> How do we get a hold of you man <laughs> um yeah, um let's see. Uh, my my email the best way to get a hold of me is by email and uh, I only see that every maybe once a day or so so it's not like I'm walking around with a smartphone. I generally and my work doesn't really allow me to kind of be distracted like that. So um my my email is uh middle knowledge. That's two words put together, middle knowledge at gmail dot com and uh they can email me that way. You can also email me through the beyond dot com website and uh that email is beyondcreationscience at gmail dot com and uh I don't check that quite as often, but I do check that so I can be reached there if the people want a book they can a copy of Beyond Creation Science. Just let me know. We can talk about it. I can send them out. I don't have very many left. I'm down to a few hundred of the physical copies. But um, when we get when we get to the end of those, we'll probably make a decision on some other things too about you know making it more widely available. But and you know there's going to be some work in the future at some point in time. Um, I I don't know. There just seems like there's so much going on out there. It's like I'm almost overwhelmed trying to watch it with a limited amount of time that I have. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some pretty neat stuff out there. So,
0: Awesome, brother. Well, dang, I, I know um, we want to have you back on. Uh, I know you need to check the schedule and everything and uh, let me know. But, um, you know, I love the program, and we just kind of went at this, for those who are listening, we just kind of went at this with no, you know, I had right. no written thing down. We just went off the top of the dome, in our minds, but let's just go with the flow, and um, if anyone who's listening has any questions, topics, things like that you might want to bring up for Brother Tim, um, I'm sure, you know, we'll be more than happy to cover that on the next show and uh, go into more detail. Yeah, uh, that'd do be you great. Wanna say yeah, you want to say anything before uh, we end this uh, episode, Brother?
1: No, just uh, if you're interested in the sermons and how and how uh, teaching from this perspective works, um, the The Covenant Community Church website is truthandliving.org And just choose Covenant Community Church on there and go to sermons And you'll see big sections of uh, exegetical sermons And then the Beyond Creation Science uh, That's beyondcreationscience.com Which is related to the book That uh, is specifically oriented toward the Genesis debate And uh, where Christians find themselves today But that's that's really all I have for, for people that want to investigate and study it out further Thanks a lot, brother.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Martin, God bless you, brother. Um, I really look forward to the next time we get on.
1: That sounds great, Derek. I appreciate your invite.
0: Definitely, brother. Well, uh, I will uh, give you guys a time and date, and we'll keep you updated on Facebook, letting you know when the next uh, broadcast we'll have with Tim Martin on. And uh, you heard it from here. Probably you can broadcast your host, Derek Lambert. All right, brother, God bless you, Tim. Take care, Derek. We'll see ya. See you, brother. Bible
1: Beacon Broadcast.